Another $40 billion to Ukraine. The fighting continues and Russia continues to fail in places like Kharkiv and Mariupol. Mariupol's been destroyed. Yet, what is actually the Russian takeover? Did they really gain something by taking months to take a city that should have taken hours? Now you have Sweden and Finland joining NATO, further showing exactly how bad Vladimir Putin looks in this. Does he have cancer? And how long can the Russian oligarchs, never mind the Russian people, take this level of abuse and loss before they do something about it? Major Mike Lyons joins us right now, retired United States Army military analyst, TV and radio. Uh, and, and I will get into the $40 billion and whether or not we should still be sending money uh, their way. But let's uh, start with where we start. Uh, this Russian military has been stalled everywhere. This Russian military is still murderous as the day uh, is is long. Tell me about the fights in Kharkiv. Tell me about what's going on in Mariupol. There was a missile attack in Lviv, which is to the west near Poland. What is Russia trying to do at this moment? So, Tony, you still have a lot of chaos on the Russian side in terms of what their overall strategy is. They're out of Kharkiv now. You had uh, Ukraine military push Russian forces first out of artillery range to protect the city from indirect fire, and then literally come up to the international border between Russia and Ukraine. And they could have threatened Belgorod with artillery and, and could have crossed the border and attacked into Russia, as crazy as that sounds. You saw Russian troops then blow bridges in order to prevent any kind of counterattack to follow them. And now it looks like they are um, regrouping around Severodonstak, which is a little bit lower into, or, you know, to the south and to the east, to have maybe one more push within the Donbass region. Um, but they still can't reorganize. They can't do anything but fire cruise missiles, fire weapons of terror, um, don't do anything conventionally. Um, Mariupol, we saw the the release of, of the soldiers that are there. It looks like there was some kind of surrender. So unfortunately, that, that, that battle is now over. You know, classic periodic victory for Russia. What they lost in prestige and time and men and material and, and the like um, w will never be recovered. I, I think um, the, the, the city has been completely destroyed. The steel plant is going to be rendered unuseful. So we still have a ways to go, I think, because Russia still has men and material that they're willing to throw into this. But, um, you know, but the, the bottom line is the Ukraine military gets stronger every day and Russia gets weaker every day still. The idea that the Ukrainian military gets stronger every day comes from the fact that uh, NATO allies, the United States, are sending cash and sending arms. Uh, the $40 billion had a, 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 a bump in the road, if you will, with Senator Rand Paul saying, whoa, 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 let's... Uh, what, what are we doing here? We shouldn't be sending this money. Uh, Congressman Thomas Massey out of Kentucky uh, feels the same way. There's a moment that comes where you're like, why are we still sending uh, these dollars? What is the point of all of this? So let me ask you, should the United States uh, still be uh, from uh, uh, sending dollars? And what is the military advantage to the United States by continuing to send them the money? So $40 billion, big number, $20 billion was allocated for um, hardware itself. So that makes the defense, you know, industrial military complex all excited. Uh, but it's more or less a line of credit. It's not necessarily buying it. It's not going at once. I mean, $40 billion is the... You know the the you, the defense budget for Israel more more than that Canada I mean it, it's an incredible amount Russia spends 61 billion a year on, on their defense so it's it's more or less a line of credit for Ukraine to to give them credit I think it's a message to Russia that says we're going to support them so that that's kind of number one but number two it's all part of this new world order that I think is going to take place now this really hard border that exists between east and west. 
um, when this is over, there will be well, you know, back to the 80s. There'll be a you know hard red line between uh, Russia and the rest of the world. I think Europe will pour in to try to rebuild Ukraine. The damage you see every day is is pretty incredible. And um, you'll see NATO and Sweden hopefully in NATO as well. I've changed my opinion about that in, in the in the past. Those Latvia, Estonia, and, and Lithuania, those were kind of tripwire countries. We talked about that before about um, you know what they're really additive. But now it's time to bring both of those countries in who want to come into NATO. So it, it, the world's a different place, <clears throat> and the forty billion dollars is going to ensure that Ukraine gets rebuilt. Should the, you, so? You think the forty billion is about nation building? Sure, absolutely. So it's, it's, it always comes down to that. It's that phase five of the operation in the military. And we're fighting a proxy war right now. And we've never been good at it, but we're going to let other people do it this time. We're not going to do it with our troops, but we're going to fund it, uh, as well will other countries in Europe. I think the U.K. will, uh, will uh, put uh, money into that as well. And the Germans have woken up now. They're, they've provided self-propelled howitzers to Ukraine. They're, they're not getting them back when the time comes. So I think it's all or less the, the kind of the backstop. The United States puts that kind of money up front other countries are going to do the same and i i do think given the current you know we've got to now believe russia for what they are anytime we buy or anybody buys russian gas and oil in the future it's going to go to build their military again they're going to they're going to have this vicious cycle that they've had for the past 30 years we got here from a foreign policy failure for the past 30 years and let's hopefully we learn from this mistake talking to major mike lyons retired united states army if i were to take a, a thought on foreign policy failure I take a look at the fact that we did not engage deterrence in in a practical, uh, valuable way. It was not deterrence. This administration could not could not do it. Uh, and I would argue that the weakness and, and the uh, horrible, uh, violent uh, d- uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan that left Americans to die uh, helped precip- precipitate the the bravado, if you will, of, of Vladimir Putin. But I, I have to, to ask, what do you mean when we talk about foreign policy failures? Yeah, I know you're probably right that 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 gave a red flag uh, or or the green light, so to speak, to Vladimir Putin to go. But foreign policy failures by putting some of those countries into NATO, those tripwire countries, um, by we forget Ukraine has also been fundamentally a corrupt country for the past ten years. It had its own problems. It has its oligarchs. It's it's very much similar to Russia. So there was not this easing over towards um, the, t- towards the West, and, and it always wanted to be, but it still couldn't get kind of get there from here. But then just just lastly, with the fact that, you know, Russia puts all those troops on the border and we didn't react to that or, or Ukraine didn't react to that. So um, but but so many so many things that happen. We can't we originally said you can't have everybody in NATO except Russia. Um, but now, given what Russia has done, there, there, we thought that deterrence would have been nuclear. We didn't think that a nuclear power would attack a non-peer adversary like they have and destroyed it. And that's where the, the fact of the matter, there was no deterrence and it didn't prevent it from doing it. On the subject of Ukraine, this is where I get the most pushback. That somehow I'm defending Ukraine or t- saying it's a great nation, and people want to scream with me. It's a it's a Nazi nation. I don't make any claim that Ukraine is great. I make the claim that we're better off having Ukraine engaged in this fight. If there's going to be a fight at all, it shouldn't be with U.S. troops. And if it means U.S. dollars, uh, weakening Russia is an extremely, to me, valuable uh, proposition. So a twofold question to you, Major. Number one. 
Um, am, am I wrong in, in, in this concept, in your view of m- helping Ukraine fight this, this Russian threat because it's clearly destabilizing Russia? And number two, you're the first person I'd heard bring up Russia's vassal state of China. What do you believe the United States is doing or should be doing to keep Russia from being under the control of China and therefore China growing in its, uh, in its danger? Yeah, so Tony, I think that's a fait complete already, and that's that's already downrange at this point. And um, there's a future probable um, battle that's going to take place with China, hopefully years from now, but it's going to exist in, in the sea, likely, if you were going to predict it from a military perspective. But but as Russia has become so much weakened, you know, only 160 million people, their economies in tatters, and you know, Chinese China ten times the size when it comes to population. You know, China, Russia is is on the verge of becoming almost irrelevant, aside from the nuclear weapons they have, um, or they could become the attack dog uh, on a leash from from China's perspective as well. So, I, you know, it is um, difficult to say what exactly will happen and, and how you can kind of reorganize the world. But the, the bottom line is what we thought that if these countries were entangled economically, they wouldn't go to war. We've seen that that's been shattered. The question is whether China feels the same way. Does China somehow get into some kind of conflict and decide to take more over the, China, the South China Sea and control those shipping lanes? Um, we just we just don't know what they're going to do yet. We've got to be up to the task. We've got to re-improve. We've got to improve our Navy, and we've got to reassert ourselves as a Pacific power because that's where the next fight's coming. Before I, I let you go, 60 seconds, uh, if you would. Finland and Sweden uh, joining NATO, being welcomed with open arms. This is more proof of, of Vladimir Putin's miscalculation. Um, what has for them, which have they've hedged their bets for for years, not wanting to upset uh, their their neighbor to the east? What has made them decide now is the moment? What are they seeing that maybe we're not? And what does this mean for Europe going forward? Right. So Finland, with five million people, looks at Russia with 160 million people, and is finally convinced in their history that there's no way that Russia threatens them. It's pretty amazing. It just shows you how weak Russia is from a military perspective. They could still launch missiles at them. They could still try to destroy them. But the fact of good old-fashioned conventional warfare to take over them is not going to happen. So they join NATO and with Sweden with 10 million people as a tripwire country. So in the past, I wasn't necessarily for that. But now, given the current situation, um, you, you see what they wanted to do. They want to align themselves with the West more formally. They have the same equipment that NATO has. They have there's no interoperability issues. There's no border issues. They're both additive to NATO. So in that in this case, this is why it makes a whole lot of sense. And again, the world has completely changed, and, and Russia might really never recover from this.